Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Well, um, I hope you agree. We've had a great morning so far. Thank you to the worship guys. I thought at one point that smoke was going to start appearing from Josh's, <laughs> Josh's finger, fingernails. So, good bit of fast strumming going on there, Josh, for an extended period. But now, great, great worship, great song choices. Thank you for leading us so well. And um, so, we're going to uh, follow on from last week's message. And uh, th- these two first Sundays in January, we, I, I get free ones in January. So it's rather nice, I'm just allowed to speak on whatever I like in the first two Sundays in January and the first two Sundays in September. Um, and then next week we're actually starting a new series and John is uh, going to be opening that series for us and we're going to start going through uh, the book of Mark. And uh, he's already given me a rough outline of what he's planning to say. I'm excited about it, I think it's going to be a great word. And then the next week Pete's on his feet um, he also, I know, will bring a great word to us. And then the following week, we've got Dave Nunn coming. And Dave Nunn leads the, uh, a church in, or has used to lead a church in Bermondsey. He's now still an elder there, but he did lead a church in Bermondsey. And he's sort of providing a little bit of extra support for us while Owen is on sabbatical. Uh, so it would be great to have him here with us. And that's in uh, three three Sundays time. But this week we're following on from uh, what we looked at last week. We looked at a passage that's written by Paul in a letter that he wrote to a church in Philippi. So it's called the book of the Philippians and uh, it's a well-known verse that I want us to concentrate on particularly. Now I'm looking at the time realizing we've had an extended time of worship so don't worry I will try not to speak for as long as I might normally, but you might have to give me a little bit of grace after 12 o'clock. We might go on a little bit beyond then, but I promise we'll, we'll try not to go on too, too much beyond then. So we're going to look at Philippians 3, and it's verses 4 through to 15. And Paul here is writing to this church in Philippi because he's heard that there are some people who are going around these new embryonic churches that have just been planted, and they're saying, well, yes, you do need Jesus, but you need something else as well as Jesus. Jesus isn't quite enough. So, yes, you do need Jesus, but you also need Jesus, and you also need to be circumcised. And uh, you need Jesus, but you also need to follow this part of the, the Jewish law as well. And Paul is aggressively opposing this, uh, this notion that Jesus isn't enough. Jesus isn't sufficient. And so he's addressing this uh, as he writes this particular part of his letter. So Philippians 3, 4 to 15. If anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. So he's going through a little history of himself. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, 
I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. We heard that uh, similar passage from Romans that Emma read out earlier. Not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained this or am already perfect. He makes that very clear, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise... God will reveal that to you also. (laughs) Only let us hold true to what we have attained. One thing I do, Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And last week we started to look at those well-known words from Paul And we reminded ourselves just a little bit about his story, that as a young man in his early 20s, he was an academic, he was very gifted, he had studied under uh, Gamaliel, who was the chief rabbi of the day. He'd be the equivalent in our day of somebody who'd been to Oxford or Cambridge or Harvard, but this guy is not just an academic, this guy is a mover and a shaker, this guy is a strategist. This guy is very, very highly thought of. He's in his early 20s. He's only in his early 20s, but already he's very highly thought of. And we encounter him for the first time at the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen, and he's standing there approving of what's going on. And then it says that following on from that, straight away, with his band of followers, Paul systematically works through Jerusalem, dragging Christians off and throwing them in jail. He gets a real name for himself amongst the Jewish community. They're, they're really pro what he's doing. And that the Christians scatter. It says that at this moment when Paul begins to systematically persecute the church, the church in Jerusalem scatter. And Paul's not satisfied with that. He is determined that he is going to use his considerable skills to crush this sect that's developed around this executed criminal, Jesus Christ. And actually, he's not satisfied that that he's done that in just Jerusalem. Because the Christians have scattered, he's going to pursue them. And so with his followers, he begins to pursue the Christians, and he pursues the first group that he knows of that have gone to Damascus, which is a city some miles away from Jerusalem. And so with his followers, he begins on the road to Damascus. And uh, on his way there, we know the story that a bright light shines, and he's literally he's floored by this bright light. He can't see anything, and it says that the others around him heard the noise but couldn't discern what the voice was saying. And the voice says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Now get up 
Take yourself to Damascus and wait in the city where you will be told what to do. And he's led by his followers because he's now blind, completely blind. He's led into Damascus, goes and stays with a guy called Judas. And uh, for three days, he eats nothing and drinks nothing. His life at that moment was completely turned upside down. This guy had a very impressive trajectory ahead of him. Yeah? He would almost certainly have become a highly respected rabbi himself. He would have been in the top echelons of his society. Not only was he an impressive Jew, he was also a Roman citizen. He had everything going for him. And suddenly, his life is completely turned upside down by the call of God. And he writes then this letter to this church in Philippi that he has helped to plant some 30 years later. He's now in his late 50s. And he's walked almost 10,000 miles on foot spreading this message that he was determined 30 years ago to utterly crush. His life is completely turned around by this call of God. And, and then at this point, he writes this letter to this church. And it's interesting just to look at the call of God on his life and the continuing call of God. So last week, we just looked a little bit about forgetting what is behind, because Paul talks about forgetting what is behind and pressing on. And Paul had quite a lot of stuff to forget that had gone behind. And actually, he was talking not just actually about the things in his life that he wished hadn't happened now, the things that he regrets, perhaps the box that he had thought he was contained within in terms of where life was going. He's also talking about, if you like, his spiritual successes, because this guy has planted many churches. He's written so many letters that they now form the basis of the New Testament years later. He wouldn't have known that at the time. But he's done enough to rest on his Christian laurels if he wants to now and have it a little bit more of an easy time. Just become an academic. Just do a bit of devotional stuff, you know, Paul. Have a, have a break. But no, Paul says, no, I forget what's behind. It's almost as if that stuff, those churches I've planted, those letters I've written, those arguments I've had, those times I've been in prison, the shipwrecks I've been through for the gospel, the tens of thousands of miles that I've walked for the gospel, it's almost as if I don't think about that. Forget that happened. I press on. I press on towards the goal for the upward call of Christ. And we looked at that forgetting, and today, in the brief moments that we have, I want to look at the call of God the call of God, the upward call of God in Christ. That was the prize that he was going after. That's why he forgot all that stuff. That's why he now considered all that stuff rubbish, it says. I consider it rubbish because of the prize of this upward call of God. So let's look briefly at the upward call of God. And when I talk, told Matt I was going to speak on this, we were, we were together just uh, over the Christmas period and and uh, sitting, sitting on the carpet in their room playing with Titus. And he said, oh, what are you speaking on? I said, oh, I'm going to talk about the upward call of God. He said, oh, it's interesting. What, what is the upward call of God? It's a good question, isn't it? I don't think I really couldn't answer him at that point. Of course, now I've done some prep, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds good, though, doesn't it? The upward call of God. So, when God calls, it is not always initially comfortable. Okay. Sometimes we can think, oh, if God calls us, that's, that's great. Oh, it's fantastic to be called by God. Oh, wow. But actually, it's not always a comfortable call. It certainly wasn't a comfortable call 
for Paul. Um, you know, we get that message that actually he was completely floored by it. Didn't eat and drink for three days. His life turned upside down. Everything that he thought he was pursuing suddenly is gone. And he doesn't know what's going to happen in his future. That call was not comfortable. The call of God is not always a comfortable call. And we know that also from other characters in the Bible. Moses. And God calls Moses, okay, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. Uh, yeah, okay, but um, uh, nobody knows me. Um, they won't believe me. Okay, so throw their staff down on the floor. Yeah, it's, it, oh, it's become, going to become a stick, a, a snake, sorry. Okay, grasp it, it'll become a stick again. Okay, you can do that, and then they'll believe you. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I, I'm a bit faltering in my speech. I'm just not very, you know. In fact, in the end, Moses says, send someone else. Send someone else. The call of God is not always comfortable for us. It certainly wasn't comfortable for Jonah. God says, okay, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, let's find a boat for Joppa. Yeah, let's go the opposite way. Wasn't comfortable for, wasn't comfortable for Jonah. It's probably a bit too comfortable for Joseph. You don't want, yeah, you're all going to bow down to me. Yay, the call of God on my life. He needed to learn some stuff after he received his call. He was a bit too comfortable with his call. But you know what? The call of God on our lives is not always comfortable. C.S. Lewis certainly didn't find the call of God on his life comfortable. So you know C.S. Lewis, who wrote all the Narnia stories, became one of the foremost uh, Christian apologetics of the 20th century. Uh, in a survey, he was named one of, the, one, one of the 10 most significant Christians of the 20th century. Interesting, isn't it? But the call of God on his life was certainly not comfortable. See what he writes here. You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalen College. So he was by now a teacher. He was about 31. He was teaching at Oxford. He'd got a, a, a triple first at Oxford. He went off and fought in the First World War, which probably just solidified his atheism. He was an adamant atheist. He goes off to fight in the First World War. He comes back an even more adamant atheist. And yet there is just something, it says, that was distressing him and disconcerting him and he was uncomfortable with. And so here we find him in 1929. You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalene College, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even from a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. <laughs> that which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the summer term of 1929, I gave in. I admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in the whole of England. The call of God is not always comfortable but it is irresistible. And actually, after that event, um, late, you'll be pleased to hear that, that later on, C.S. Lewis is deeply grateful of that call. And he says this, he says, Oh, but who can adequately adore that love which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in, kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape. Who can adequately adore love like that, that drags me in even when I don't want to come because it's going to be the absolute best call I will ever receive on my life? Do you know that? God's call on you may be uncomfortable, 
Sometimes it is. God's call on us is sometimes uncomfortable. But it is the best call that you will ever receive. And it is a call that is irresistible. Always respond to it when you feel the call of God. But it can take time to discern. So the call of God can take time to discern and unpack. And actually for C.S. Lewis, although he uh, in 1929 knelt and, and admitted God was God, it was another two years before he came to Christ before he realized actually he wasn't just acknowledging there is a God, but it took two years of discussion and reading the Bible and working through with other Christians before he came to the point where he said, ah, okay, it's Christ, it's Jesus, I understand, I'm there. But it took two years before he reached that point. It can take time. You know, that should encourage us, those of us who are Christians, who have friends who aren't Christians or family who aren't, and we just think, oh, it just seems to take so long. I have these conversations every four or five months when it's like I drop a little seed in, but it doesn't go any further, and it takes time. Sometimes the call of God takes time to embed, to grow, to be discerned. Don't be discouraged. Sometimes it takes a while. But the call of God also does not always include a full explanation. It doesn't always include a full explanation. So a few months ago, I'm at Owen and Pauline's house and Bill and Jen are there. Okay? And we, uh, we start to play this sort of quiz. Do you remember, Bill? Yes, he's grinning. So we play this, this quiz. It's like a Bible knowledge quiz. Now, I should have known at the time it was probably unwise to do this. Anyway, so New Testament questions, Old Testament questions. New Testament questions, I'm holding my own. <laughs> you know what? I'm doing all right. I'm not doing bad. Old Testament questions, oh my goodness, I'm pants. Absolutely aw- shameful, awful, dreadful. No, names, uh, particularly names of characters. You know, I know Moses and Abraham, and I know the big hitters, but suddenly I realise, oh my goodness, I don't... And then there's Bill, and there's Owen, and they're going, jum, 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 jum. Particularly Bill, I have to say. I think Bill goes to bed with some sort of audio tape of, you know, obscure Bible characters weekly going in his head. I do. His knowledge of the Old Testament is just amazing. So, So I have made it my goal this year to learn more about Old Testament characters. Now, that, of course, is primarily so that I can serve you better (laughs) when I am pastoring and counselling you. And it's also so I can completely whop him the next time. (laughs) Anyway, so there is a Bible character who's called Manoah. Anybody know who Manoah is? Bill. 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 (laughs) Put your hand down, Bill. So Manoah... Is the father of Samson, okay? And uh, Manoah's wife has a visit from an angel. And so let's look at what, what the angel says. The angel says to Manoah's wife, You shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite. That means there'll be 
um, dedicated to God. If someone was a Nazarite, they were dedicated to the Lord. So the child should be a Nazarite to God, and an indication of being a Nazarite was that you didn't cut your hair. So the child be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he should begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, when this angel appears to Manoah, or to, or to Manoah's wife, Manoah's not around. Manoah's wife runs to Manoah, tells him all about it, and, and he, he then prays. He says, God, uh, can you tell me about this? I want to hear about it. And God's, it says in the Bible, God hears his prayer. So the angel comes back. The angel comes back to Manoah's wife again. She runs off and brings him. He comes back. This is what he says. Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And the angel says, I am. And Manoah said, now, when your words come true, what is to be this child's manner of life and what is his mission? Come on. He's a typical man, isn't he? Right, come on. What have we got to do? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink strong wine or strong drink, or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. In other words, he just tells Manoah exactly the same that he told his wife. He basically says what any good midwife would say, doesn't he? Don't drink alcohol, avoid shellfish. God won't always tell us the details of his call. He'll just tell us what he wants us to do now. He won't always unpack what the future looks like. We might want him to. With the best intention, Manoah is saying, okay, tell me so I can prepare my son for his mission. And the angel just says, yeah, no, no, just just support your wife in what I've told her to do. Oh, don't you know what? That must have been a tricky message to hear, mustn't it? particularly for blokes, I have to say, probably. Do you know what? The call of God's on her. You support her in what I'm calling her to do. Ooh. But do you know what? That's exactly what sometimes we have to do. Sometimes our call is to support the call of somebody else. And that is our call. And that call on my life to support you in your call is just as significant because actually if I'm not around you and I'm not supporting you, you can't fulfill the call of God on your life. And actually if I will accept that humbly, there can be fantastic and wonderful joy in that. You know, for me, I'm not, I'm not the number one person. I never have been, I've, but, but I've, I've drawn great joy by being able to support people. So when I was a teacher, I knew I could never be a head teacher. I just knew I, that wasn't me. But I knew I could be a really good support to a head teacher, and that's what I tried to do. Now, when it comes to the call of God, it's the same. Sometimes your call will be to support someone else in their call, and that is your call. And on that day when you face him, he will say to you, just like he'll say to the person who fulfilled their call, who you supported, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You both obeyed my call. Well done. The call of God. It's not always easy to discern. It's not always fully explained. And sometimes my call is to support you in your call so that the kingdom can advance. The Bible says, or there's a hymn writer actually who says this, I love it. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Do you know those moments when we're trying to think, oh, why is this happening then, God? So what are you saying? So what's my mission? What do I need to do? Tell me, come on, come on. Download, God, download. And 
assumed it says in the Bible, or this hymn writer, William Cooper, says, God is his own interpreter. He will make it plain. Wait. He'll make it plain. Wait. Don't try and work it out for yourself if he hasn't told you. But the call of God is also for the Christian a continuous call. It's a continuous call because Paul doesn't say, so what I did is was I forgot what was behind and I pressed on towards what is ahead. It says, I forget what is behind and I press on. The call of God on your life is a continuous call. There might be times when you think, is he still, is there still a call for me? Has he still got something mapped out for me? I've, I don't seem to have heard from him lately. I, I've just not been quite aware. Is there still a call for me? Yes, there is a continuous call on your life. It is continuous. It is an upward call. It is not a horizontal call. It is an upward call. It is continuous. Yes, it's still there. Even if you haven't heard it for a little while, the call of God is still on your life. It is a continuous call. So you know that's encouraging, isn't it? That is encouraging. That should be encouraging for us when we are at home surrounded with washing and children's dirty nappies and we're thinking, where was the call of God on my life? It is still there. That should be encouraging for you when you are on the tube heading up to town yet again for the nine to five. Is God's call still on my life? Yes, it is. It is a continuous call. Have you heard it lately? Are you in a position where you are willing to hear it? Oh, he's calling you. It's a continuous call. And do you know what? It's also not a call that he just makes and then leaves you alone to try and fulfill. The whole of the Trinity is involved in helping you to respond to and obey the call of God on your life. The whole of the Trinity. Because when Jesus went to heaven, he said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to, send the, I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to you. And what is the Holy Spirit called? He's called the parakletos. And do you know what that means? It's one who calls beside. That's what the parakletos is. So you have the Father calling you. Come on, son. Come on, daughter. And then you have God, the Holy Spirit, who's calling alongside. Come on. Yeah, come on. There. Now. Here. And the only reason you can respond to the Father's call is because Christ Jesus died to make you acceptable to the Father. The whole of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, are involved in you responding to the call of God on your life. It is a continuous call. It is an upward call. God's call on your life is continuous. It's upward. It's a call that you can respond to without fear that you won't be accepted because of your past, because this Upward call is in Christ and he's taken all of your sins and failings. It's a call that he never stops making over you. And he enables you to respond to it by sending the Holy Spirit to be your helper. It's a call that will carry on until the day when he calls you home. 
It's a call to become more like his son. In another of his letters, Paul writes that the very reason that Christ came was that he might be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters and that God's intention was to conform us, in other words, make us like the image of his son. God's upward call on your life is to continue the process of changing you and making you more like Jesus And although you might be very aware of all the ways in your life that you're currently not like Jesus, you can approach confidently because he sees you as perfect already. You know that? He does. One last verse for you and then I'm going to wrap it up. This is the verse that tells us that he sees us already as perfect. It's in Hebrews. It says this, For by one sacrifice, in other words, Jesus... He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. In other words, he sees you as perfect if you're in Christ, and now he's about the business of making you holy like his son. And that's his continuous upward call on your life. Don't ever think that his call on your life has stopped. You might not have heard it for a little while, in which case, or ask him, come talk to someone about it. But his call on your life is continuous, it is upward, and it will carry on until the day when he calls you home to be with him forever. So, brothers and sisters, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and pressing on to what is ahead, I press on to win the prize which God in Christ has called me heavenward, the upward call of God. Let's respond to it. Let's, forget, let's consider everything else rubbish in comparison to it. And let's remember that he's calling it over us every single day of our life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today, we thank you for each other, we thank you for this church, what a blessing it is to us, what a gift it is, it's part of your gift to us, and actually it's part of your gift to us so that we are able to realise the upward call of God in Christ. And uh, so we're grateful for all that you've said and done and for the sense of your presence that we've had today. And we ask you'll help us as we go into another week, as we go into another season of our lives, as we press into another new year. You will help us to forget what's behind, to strain towards what is ahead, and to press on to win the prize of the upward call, the continuous upward call of God in Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.